I'd like you to take your Bibles this morning with me and turn in them to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. Over the past several weeks, we have begun our study of this great book, and I have spoken to us at length about war. Not so much so a war that we hear about in the media, those where men fight against men and nation fights against nation. None of the wars like that because this war is a war in the spiritual realm. A war where the inevitable casualties far outweigh those that have come from country fighting country or men fighting men or family against family. The enemies in the spiritual realm do not strive in any kind of way for physical superiority. They strive for victory over the soul. The spiritual war is a soul war. And victory is utterly important. It's a victory that has everlasting consequences. The consequences are everlasting because it is the spiritual realm that is eternal. Our temporal life here on this earth, our physical life is but a mere vapor. It is only for a time. The physical is a temporal place. It is of this earth only. And while in this physical realm one may be a casualty of war, and in a physical and temporal sense life can be over in a moment, at least in this world. In the spiritual realm, your soul continues. It continues with only two options. There isn't a myriad of options. There isn't a a turning to nothingness and going out into oblivion as nothing. There are two options. Either you are immediately in the presence of God because you have a relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ, by faith. Or you are separated from God for all eternity because you have no relationship with Christ and you will spend your eternity in a torment of hell forever and ever and ever. The consequences of the spiritual war are forever consequences. And so this makes the war in the spiritual realm so much more serious. And of course, I've been telling us that there is a war raging even today for how and why someone can actually get to God. It is a war for what is the right way to get to God. What is the right way to God? That's really the essence, the bottom line of of this war that I'm talking about. And of all the battles that have ever been fought or will be fought, the battle for the right way to God, how someone can find their way into the presence of God is the most crucial because of the implications and the consequences that are eternal. And so we are at war then for the gospel. We are at war for the accuracy of the gospel. And as I have been telling us, this is one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul penned this very book to the believers in Rome. 
Remember, he is writing to the saints. He is writing to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And if you and I, as well as those who were reading this for the first time, who received it from the Apostle Paul, along with every generation in between, all the way up to us, if we are to fight effectively in this war, if we are to be the soldiers of God that God has called us to be, and because of the magnitude of the consequences that are so far reaching and so far, oh, so very serious in this war, then we better know exactly what are the identifying traits of the true gospel that we are fighting for. And I gave those to us over the last several weeks. If you we're not here, you did not hear those messages, please go online and get them and download them or ask the guys in the back to make you a CD and have them print those off about those five principles that are the foundational elements for identifying just the gospel itself. And so we must know the identifying marks of what is true in order for us to tell what is false. This is crucial for you and I as soldiers in the war. But there is something else that is necessary for us as those who are in this war for the gospel. There's something else that is necessary because it isn't good enough for us as soldiers to just be properly equipped. Uh, if you think about it in the, in the national realm, the United States and the world of, of other countries and the United States being touted as the top superpower in all of the world with all of the best equipment. It isn't good enough for us to have the best equipment as uh, in war. Even those with the best equipment fall, pray, and die. Well, in the spiritual realm, it's the same. It isn't good enough for us just to be properly equipped. It isn't Good enough for us to just head into battle knowing that we have the right equipment in hand. Oh, because I have the top of the line machine in my hands, therefore I'm guaranteed victory and continuance in this. No, because all the equipment we need for war isn't in our possession personally. Not only is it necessary for us to have our own personal equipment, and in the light of what we've been talking about, that is an understanding of what is truly right concerning the gospel, as we saw in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 1. But we as soldiers also need the help of others on the battlefield. That's equipment that is not ours. That is equipment provided to us by others. We need the help of others while we're on the battlefield. In other words, the war for the gospel can be a very lonely place. It's necessary that you and I, as God's children, that we receive help from others while we're traveling down that road, while we're walking along this war-torn road called the Christian life, or it'll be near impossible for us to endure. This is how God has designed it. This is how God has made it for us. And this is what we see Paul unfolding for us 
in the next section of chapter 1 in verses 8 through 17. The Apostle Paul is giving us principles that will motivate us in this war. Principles for continuance, principles for endurance, if you will, and that's what we want to look at this morning. And I want to begin our time just by reading for us these verses, verses 8 through 17 of chapter 1. Notice what the Apostle Paul says to these believers in Rome. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. For I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now listen, if there is one thing true about war, when you are in a continual battle, day and night, 24-7, 365, every day, all the time as we are as Christians, oftentimes great fatigue can set in. We can get very, very weary. And we begin to look around at the battlefield and look at the smoke rising on the hills and wonder if we're the only one fighting. Wonder... Am I the only one out here doing this? Am I the only one battling? Oftentimes the war gets so hot, the battles are so frequent. The interactions with the enemy, if you will, the the unbelieving world around us is so frequent that many a Christian has contemplated going that old military term, AWOL, absent without leave. They've contemplated just leaving the field in the midst of service because the road is so, so Lonely at times. If there was anyone who understood that temptation, it was the Apostle Paul. God, by His very divine grace and providence, had allowed Satan to put Paul through the spiritual grinding mill, if you will. So much so that, in fact, there were plenty of times when others were opposing Paul. 
It seemed like every city that Paul went into, when he began to preach the gospel, there were those who were against him, those who, who wanted to shut him up, those who were chasing him out of the city, those who were coming against the gospel with a different gospel. There were plenty of times, as we saw in our study of Corinthians, when the battle became so difficult that even Paul may have wanted to just give up on that self-centered, prideful church. There was battles outside the church. There was battles inside the church. The war was always around. And But in spite of all of that, God used Paul in great ways. And by God's grace, Paul not only was a means through which others heard the gospel of God, just as you are at times, but he was also used as a motivator. A motivator for others to continue in the fight when it seemed like it was so lonely. I was thinking about this as I was studying and I was reminded of Paul's words to the Philippian church. Chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, Paul said, I hope, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you shortly. Talking to the Philippians. Why? So that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Paul says, I can't wait till Timothy gets there because then he's going to find out about you guys and what's going on concerning your faith because you're Christians and how you're continuing on. And when he tells me that, that's going to be an encouragement for me because there is no one else of kindred spirit who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul says, it's lonely out here, man. I need some encouragement myself. What motivated Paul as he sat in prison writing those words to the Philippian church was the knowledge that others were fighting with him. That there were, in fact, others who were keeping the faith. And the Philippian believers were just those people. They were remaining strong in the faith. What God used to motivate Paul in those tough times is also what God uses to motivate us. When temptation to be discouraged is clearly there, when the road seems so lonely, difficult, battles everywhere. And so what I want us to do this morning is to draw out from these words of Paul five motivators. Five motivators that are going to help us walk that oftentimes lonely road of war so that we'll not remain discouraged, so that we'll continue to fight, so that we won't give up. So let's just begin to look at these. Motivator number one is this. It's what I call the motivator of pleasure. The motivator of pleasure. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is this. Pleasure is the truth that others are truly thankful for my efforts in the ministry and my life in ministry as a Christian. I don't mean positionally, I mean just as a Christian, that you are keeping your faith. Notice what Paul says in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. 
You see, what Paul is saying is this. The war is raging, yes. The war is difficult, yes. There is enemies around every corner, yes. It's very, very lonely and it can get very discouraging when I'm constantly being bombarded by those who are fighting against the very true gospel that I'm proclaiming. You may, even in your own life, seem like you are the only one on that road. You're the only one getting beat up. It may seem as if no one's listening to you when you speak the true gospel. You share the gospel with your family. You share the gospel with your friends. You share the gospel with your co-workers. You share the gospel with your kids. Nobody seems to be listening. But you need to know something. You need to know something about you in your faith. While those may not be listening, there are other Christians who are hearing of you. There are other brothers and sisters in Christ who are in fact watching you in your walk of faith in the war. And they are thankful for you. They are thankful that you're not giving up. They're taking pleasure, thankful pleasure, because your faith is staying strong. In fact, oftentimes the one, the ones that we cannot hear are the ones oftentimes that are cheering the loudest. Family and friends, even not in this area, friends you have across the country and across the globe. I don't know about you personally, but this happens in my life. I survey the destruction of the family in our own country. The outright denial of the truth, the blatant acceptance of error, the living of life without any kind of shame. Oftentimes I can become really discouraged in my own personal life as a pastor, as a Christian. By God's grace and in His time, He always sends word that someone else somehow and in some way they're strengthened. Simply because we don't quit. And they're encouraged through the struggle. And through their encouragement, I personally get encouraged. And like Paul, I I, I want to just continue. That's what Paul's saying to these believers. I thank my God through Christ for you. In other words, your testimony and your stand for truth has not gone unheard. It has not gone unseen. Others are reporting about your faith to me. And so part of Paul's motivation in the war for the gospel was not just the intimacy that he had with those believers that he knew personally. Part of his motivation certainly was from them, but but part of his motivation was hearing about others across the globe who were doing the same thing. And encouraged Paul to continue because he heard about their deep faith 
that was showing itself through their testimony to stand strong in the battle. Just the knowledge that others are fighting just as hard continually motivated Paul. The believers in Paul's day, particularly those in Rome, had faced severe persecution under the emperor Claudius. He had expelled the Jews from Rome because of false accusations. But apparently, as the historians tell us, the testimony of the Jewish Christians, those who were actually believers, had been so strong during that time that not only was the city affected, but Paul says their testimony has gone throughout the whole world. You see that in verse 8? Your testimony has gone out through the whole world. There's people all over the globe hearing about you. So not only did that kind of news motivate Paul in his ministry, but Paul knew that those who were believers in Rome, that they would be motivated to greater ministry through the news that their faith was being heard of. When I think of why others may find pleasure and are thankful for this church, why others outside this church and why you inside this church find pleasure and are thankful for this church, my greatest hope is that it's because of our faith. Not because the ladies here can really cook up a great meal or some of the guys. Sorry, Brian. Not because of all the other things that we love to do together, but because people see our faith. It is an unquenchable, ungiving up, persevering faith. Even though somebody says no a thousand times to the gospel, we continue to tell them. Even though a family member rejects it over and over and over again, we continue to tell them. Even some of you who have sat here week in and week out, month in and month out, hearing the gospel and you still don't believe, we still tell you. I want people to know we have an enduring faith. I want others to see our faith. Because that motivates each one of us to continue in the, in the, in the war for the gospel. Then I am thankfully, I, I can thankfully have pleasure in that. That's what Paul's saying. I have thankful pleasure for those to whom and with whom I minister. That's essential if we're going to remain motivated on this lonely war road. We need to have thankful pleasure in one another and our faith enduring. So motivator one, number one is just that, thankful pleasure. Second motivator is this, the motivator of prayer. The motivator of prayer. Notice what Paul says beginning in verse 9. For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers. You can stop right there for a moment. One of the most encouraging things for us as Christians being battered and beat up in the world, one of the most encouraging truths that takes place in our lives as believers is knowing that others who may not be on the same battlefront as we are, who may be in some other place, who may be even across the globe thinking of us, they are continually praying on our behalf. 
Just the knowledge that others are supporting us from elsewhere ought to motivate us to continue right here, right now. That's truly Paul's point, isn't it? You Christians, you Christians in Rome, you need to know that I'm praying for you unceasingly. I'm praying for you. Listen, these aren't simply some kind of formal words that Paul's saying, oh yeah, I just want you to know that occasionally before God, uh, I, I take your name there and there's no real substance to it, there's no real depth to that prayer. It's just you know an offshoot comment. No, these were Paul's continual requests before God. It's almost as if Paul is saying, every time I, I, I had this opportunity in my heart and mind to pray to God, which Paul exhorts us in everywhere, every other place, pray without ceasing. So it would seem that Paul is just reiterating that reality. Anytime I'm praying, which by the way is all the time, when I am praying, you're on my mind and I'm praying for you. Continual requests to God for you. I love that. I love that. I love that. Doesn't that motivate you to continue? Don't you think about that? Knowing that others are continually entreating the commander of the army on your behalf. Always going to the commander saying, hey, by the way, you got to help these guys. By the way, you got to be there with these guys. By the way, you got to be... Uh, and strengthening them. You see, Paul knew, Paul understood, and we ought to as well, that even the strongest faith can falter. Even the strongest faith gets tempted. Even the strongest faith uh, sees itself and goes, man, am I out here by myself? Apart from the continual provision of strength that comes only when the hand of God is moving through prayer. Otherwise, we'd get weak. I truly believe that's the reason I personally have been able to continue in this pulpit for several years with very little, if any, sickness. Have you noticed that? I think I may have been out of this pulpit a couple days, one day, ten years. Ten years? That's not because I'm some health specimen. That's because people are praying. Praying. There are those within this body who unceasingly go before the Lord on my behalf. And on the behalf of this whole church. I was thinking about it. Prayer does a whole lot of things, but, but, but at the very least it does this. Number one, it, it, it causes us to remember our dependence upon God, right? When we pray, we're saying to God, we can't do it on our own. We need you In fact, it's a recognition that without God, we can do nothing. When we pray, we are depending upon God because we know that without Him, everything else is just failure. There's a second thing, right? Knowing that others are going before God on our behalf. You know what that does? It motivates me. Other people are asking God for help. It's not just me asking God. Other people are asking God. Man, that motivates me to continue and motivates me to continue. So each one of us should have each other on our minds continually before God. 
continually in prayer. Always taking each other and others who are in the war, other Christians who we know around the globe. Paul says, you are always in my prayers before God. Verse 10. You are always in my prayers. In fact, you are never taken off my virtual prayer list. They're always there. Remember what Paul told the church in Thessalonica? Chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. We pray for you always. Why? So that God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. In order that, here's the purpose, that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him. What a motivator. I continue to go to the Lord all the time on your behalf and I'm praying that God would sustain you in the fight for His glory. Paul said to the believers in Ephesus this, chapter 3, verse 14 to 19, that He, that is God, would grant you according to the riches of His glory, what? To be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the knowledge of God. I want you to be strengthened, so strengthened in your inner man that that it doesn't matter how hot the war gets, you're going to stay in it. Just as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, so too he prayed for the believers in Rome who he had never met. He hadn't met these people. He's praying for them. He wants them to know he's praying for them. Because without prayer, their faith would easily falter. It was a motivator. It was a motivator. I'm praying for you. So that we're motivated through thankful pleasure. We're motivated through prayer. The third motivation that Paul gives us here, that's the motivation of petition. The motivation of petition. This is very interesting because oftentimes we think, okay, prayer and petition, and they certainly go together, but I want to differentiate something here today. Notice verse 10, he says, I'm always in my prayers making request. That's a petition. If perhaps now, at last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you, Because I long to see you in order that I might impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I want us to notice something about Paul's petition, his request. Paul isn't asking that God would do something for those believers in Rome separate from Paul himself. Okay, Paul's not asking that they would bid help. God just help them, send somebody to them. No, Paul's saying, I want you to do something that includes my involvement. He isn't praying for them and then going about his business as usual. That isn't Paul's desire. In fact, it's just the opposite. Paul's desire is that God would make a way 
to use Him personally in the lives of these believers. You see, what motivated Paul in the war for the gospel was not only that he took great pleasure in hearing of their faith, not only that he was praying for them and being prayed for by others, but what motivated Paul was that he was praying that God would physically use him in these believers' lives. It wasn't only Paul thinking the Lord, or thanking the Lord, I should say, that these Christians who were fighting for the truth, He wasn't simply just thankful for that. Oh, I'm glad they continue to fight for the truth. No, he was praying that God would bring him to their battle personally. God, I'm thankful for those Christians. I'm thankful for their faith. I'm thankful that they're they're praying and that I'm praying for them. But in my prayer, Lord, I want you to make it so that I can personally be with them in the battle. I want to fight right alongside them. Have you ever thought about your life like that? Have you ever prayed on behalf of others that God would personally put you physically with them in the war? Have you ever thought about that? Lord, I'm praying. I'll just throw some names out here, some of our missionaries. I'm praying for Ed and Maria down in Honduras. Oh, I pray you protect them. Yes, that's great. All those things are perfect. But have you ever prayed, Lord, direct it such that my life would be right there alongside them in Honduras? I want to fight right with them. I want to fight right with the Diems. I want to fight right with that person who's feeling lonely on the road. That God would direct you to fight with them. Have you ever thought about that in your life? You see, Paul not only prayed for the spiritual well-being of these believers, and through that prayer, he was motivating them to continue in the fight for the truth, but it was Paul's desire to motivate them even further by them understanding that he was willing and wanting and asking God to use him both strategically and personally in their battlefield. I don't just want to pray for you out there that maybe God will strengthen you. That's a good prayer. But I want God to to take me to your battlefield. I, I, I want to encourage you in that way. I believe far too often we as Christians, we're much more easily persuaded to just sit back and cheer on others as they're in the battlefield. We're, we're like that guy on the side of the river as somebody's paddling and fighting the current and saying, keep paddling, keep paddling, you're doing a good job, and, rather than diving in and going to get in the boat and paddle with them. But Paul's saying, I want to be personally and physically with you as an outreach ministry. Don't get me wrong, both the here and the far are needed, Right? There's ministry everywhere. But I wonder how often we're willing to pray that God would use us as an encouragement at the place where we see somebody struggling in the battle. 
place maybe somewhere overseas. I'm not primarily speaking necessarily about that, but it may be there. What God wants us to understand this morning, I believe, is that there are those warring right here. There are those warring right next to you. That you're praying for them, that's good. But are you praying that God would put you with them in the fight? That He just challenge your heart and, and that, that the needs that you've heard from them and the difficulty you've heard as they're walking, that God would put you right there with them. Right in it. You say, well, why specifically does Paul want to get himself there? Notice verse 11. For I long to see you in order that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. Spiritual strengthening is the first thing Paul said. I, I want to get there because, because there's some spiritual strengthening that, that needs to be imparted that I think would be good. In other words, through God gifting me, I desire to strengthen you. It's not simply for me alone. I want to impart that to you. Paul may have been a, a capital A apostle in the sense that he saw the risen Lord, which was one of the qualifications. But we all have giftedness. Each one of us has things that God has given us to impart to others and spiritually strengthen others. In fact, you know what the word established here means? It's the word for prop up. Prop up. Paul says, I long to see you that I might prop you or that I might impart some spiritual gift that you might be propped up. You might be propped up. I want God to bring me there so that I, through the gifting that God has given me, can prop up your spiritual weary lives. What a vivid picture. What a motivator. Really? You want to come and be with me so that so that you can use your giftedness to, by God in my life to prop me up in this battle? Wow. Someone whom you've never seen? Someone whom you've only heard of? You want to do that for me? You want to come and help me? Yeah, yeah, I'm praying that God would do that. So Paul says, I want to strengthen you. But I also want, notice verse 12, I want to encourage and be encouraged that I may be encouraged together with you while I'm among you. By your faith, your faith, my faith, we're mutually encouraging one another. The blessing and motivation of battling together travels in both directions. Right? When we're in the war together, guess what? I'm motivated by you and I'm a blessing to you and you're motivated, you're motivating me and a blessing to me. It's a mutual faith, a common belief in Christ that's driving us. The understanding that others are fighting with us encourages us. So what helps our motivation in this war for the gospel? Taking thankful pleasure, right? Knowing that others are faithfully spurring us on and they're faithfully spurred on because I'm continuing. That's the first thing. Second, knowing that others are continually praying, and I'm praying. That's a motivator. 
The third is the petition. I understand that others are petitioning God as to how they might be used alongside us in the war. How someone might come alongside me and I'm praying, how can God use me in someone else's struggle? And Paul gives a fourth motivator. I call this the motivator of payment. Payment. Verses 13 to 15, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you. I've been prevented thus far in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles, because I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Thus, for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I call this the motivator of payment. And I want you to focus your attention on verse 14 in the phrase, I am under obligation. I'm under obligation. Paul says, my motivation to continue in this war is not for me. It's not for me. It's not because this is an attractive venture that I've signed on to. No, the reason I continue is because I am under obligation. I'm under obligation. But we cannot misunderstand what Paul is saying here because we can get the idea from the words of Paul that he's under obligation. In some kind of way, he has a debt ethic to God. In other words, I have to do this because I owe God. And I'm, I'm just fulfilling my debt to God so I can fulfill up my cup of righteousness so that God one day will accept me. No, that's not what Paul is saying. This is Paul's realization that God has so given him a stewardship of the truth, a stewardship of the gospel like all of us have been given. Paul understands that to the depth of his being, and he is obligated to faithfully carry out that stewardship by giving it to others. He owes God nothing in the sense that it would gain him anything before God, but he owes everybody else He's obligated to all people with what God has given him. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, I am under compulsion. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. In other words, God gave me a duty and I must carry it out. That's the stewardship side of it. You don't get the chance to just choose however you want to do what God has given you. God gave you, God saved you and gave you an understanding of the truth by which you believe and now you have a duty. Paul says, I'm not indebted to God as if I, God was somehow owed something to me and I get something from God if I continue. No, I'm indebted to man. I'm indebted to every other human that walks the face of the earth. I owe it to man to continue and in particular, I owe it to the Gentiles. Verse 13, I want to bear fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Gentiles, those who are not true Jews by birth, the ethne, the rest of the world, who didn't have the scriptures given to them, I'm obligated to them, Paul says. That's what the word means, a debt. I have a debt that I must pay to the rest of the globe. 
I have a stewardship of the gospel. It's a debt to be paid to all those who are lost. You see, Paul understood that motivating truth. That was part of the gas in his engine to keep going. God did not give the gospel to him just for him to hold on to it for himself. He had a stewardship. Paul knew that he was given the gospel in order to pay it out. We talk a lot about it today. You hear it today. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. This cheesy kind of thing about doing good to somebody, and then maybe it'll come back to you in some kind of karma kind of way. That's, that's a bunch of mystical nonsense. But yet here we have a debt to mankind. We pay it forward not because we owe it in some kind of mystical way, hoping something good will happen to us. No, we have a stewardship. We have a stewardship before God and we have a debt to humanity to give out what God has given to us. Paul knew he had to pay it out to those who must hear it or they're going to perish. Whether they're educated or uneducated, Paul says, I have an obligation to Greeks and barbarians, verse 14, to wise and foolish. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what a socioeconomic scale you're at. Whoever it is, I have to give you the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the great equalizer, isn't it? Everybody's under the reality of what the gospel is saying. Because every human being is equally lost. That very truth ought to motivate us to stay in it. That very truth alone ought to be enough in our gas tank to keep us going, continuing the fight for the gospel. Each of us who know Christ, each true Christian here has an obligation. We have a stewardship obligation given to us, and we dare not hold the gospel of God all to ourselves. We dare not. We are indebted to give it to others, no matter how hot the war becomes. So Paul says in verse 15, thus for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I'm eager. It means I can, that, you know what Paul's saying? I can't wait to get there. Yeah, I know the battle's been strong in the past. I know it'll be strong in the future. But you know what? I can't wait to get there. I'm eager to get there. And so we too are to be motivated by the same thing. Motivated by the thankful pleasure that others are hearing of our faith. Motivated by prayer. The fact that we are praying and others are praying for us. Motivated by petition. The reality that, that there are those and the reality in our own minds and our own prayers that we ought to be praying that God would open doors for us to be right there in the battle with someone else. And we're motivated by the payment we owe. We owe it. We owe it to a lost world to not just keep our mouth shut when the gospel needs to be spoken. We owe it to the lost to tell them about Jesus Christ. We have a stewardship responsibility for that. Well, I told you there was five. I gave you four. We'll have to wait for the final motivator because there's just way too much in verses 16 and 17. There's way too much. So if I even said it now, 
we'd have to come back to it anyway. I'll give you the title of it, though. You know what it is. It's another P word. It's right there in the middle. The power. Power. The fifth motivator is power. We'll get to that next time. Probably be fitting, too. It'll be Communion Sunday. What better thing to talk about than that? Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for our time this morning. What a what an incredible, incredible way you have enriched our hearts. Thank you for teaching us these things. Help us to, to exemplify them as you have shown us in the life of Paul. Help us sit like we are there in Rome reading this for the first time. Thinking through these words and just sensing our heart resonate with what Paul says and being encouraged to continue in this. And Lord, we can't wait to hear what you have for us next time concerning the power of the gospel, (laughs) the best motivator of all. So Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you saved us by means of the gospel, that in it, Your righteousness is clearly seen. And you caused us to believe. And we are your children. Help us to be faithful for you. That you might be glorified in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.